Hello, it is editing Brienne here. As I was editing this episode, I realized that if I were to cut this down to 45 minutes or an hour, I would be cutting out so much incredible discussion that I didn't want to leave out. So we are going to be making this a part one, and there will also be a part two after this. In this episode, we will be talking about the culture of disordered eating in the legal field, and we'll also be talking to our guests about being diagnosed and treated for an eating disorder during her 1L year. Then in part two, we'll be talking about the return to law school and how the law school and the legal field has treated people who have gone through similar things. Welcome back to the In-Laws podcast. I am Brienne. And I'm Sophia. We're two law students who created this podcast to talk about law school, law talk, and everything in between. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the in-laws pod and our law school pages at Sophie in law and at Brianne in law. For this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the relationship between the pressure of law school and disordered eating. We've both made commentary on the romanticization of people only having an iced coffee until 4 p.m., not eating properly, making jokes about not eating in school. And we think this is an important discussion. So we've invited Maddie, a 3L from my school, to talk about her experience being diagnosed with an eating disorder during her 1L year and having a modified spring semester. Welcome, Maddie. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So we kind of like ask everybody the typical basic questions of just like why law school, what got you into law school, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, so I was a theater kid in high school, which like the theater kid to law school pipeline is very big. Um, Yes, and so like I really loved that like performing and the, you know, public speaking aspect of it. Um, So I was saying I wanted to go into law before I actually knew what that meant. Then I went to college and joined uh, my college's mock trial team. And as soon as I started doing that, I was hooked. Like we were, we would cosplay as like lawyers once a month and go to these competitions and like compete against other college mock trial teams. And I just like loved it. So um, that was a really great experience to like push me towards understanding what I actually wanted to to do, not just I like the idea of going to law school. Um, so yeah, I I went straight through. I'm a K through JD student. Um, I don't think I would do that over again if I could. I definitely would have taken a, a year, at least a year off between college and law school, but that's fine, we're here. Um, but yeah, I just, I liked the idea of law school. I knew I wanted to go to law school when I started you know, meeting attorneys and doing mock trial. And I also just really wanted to do something to like help people and give back to the community that I was like raised in. Um, Yeah. Okay. What type of work are you interested in and has that changed since being in law school? So actually for me, it hasn't changed, which has been nice because that's not super typical. Um, I really wanted to do criminal law and I'm when I came into law school and I'm going to end up working in criminal law, um, I really like a lot of things about it, but I really like doing trial work, like litigation. I think you can do litigation in, in most fields, but what litigation looks like at like a civil firm is incredibly different than what it would look like in a like criminal defense firm or like a DA's office or the public defender's office. 
So I love getting to have that much like trial exposure and experience. Um, and just knowing I'm doing work that I, I find to be super, um, I don't want to say important because that makes it sound as if other work isn't important and that's not the case at all. Uh, but it's, it's stuff that's genuinely exciting for me to like work through and, and help people because a lot of the, the people who are going through these experiences, like this is maybe like one of the most difficult things they've had to handle. So just being there to support others too is huge. That's very true. And you've also gotten experience in both the DA's office and public defense, right? Like you've done both. Yeah. Yes. And I would highly recommend that to anyone who's interested in criminal law is like, try both sides. Um, I have a much deeper appreciation for both offices after seeing like the inner workings of both. Like I was only an intern um, in the public defender's office, but like I have a much deeper appreciation for the work that they do um, instead of just thinking like the side I am on is the correct side and no one else is ever right or, you know, no one else's process is ever more difficult than mine. Okay. And then kind of to get into the meat, the whole topic of the episode. So we usually try to keep our episodes very like guest led. So we'll just kind of start with like your story first semester of law school and getting diagnosed. And so how do you think the pressures of law school affected your relationship with food first semester before then kind of like leading up to it? Yeah, um, I think law school affects people's relationships with food in, in an enormous way that we don't really think about. So there is this like hustle and grind culture in a lot of professions, but I think specifically in law school, where you'll see people saying like, I woke up at 4 a.m. and I ate a bowl of nails and then I ran a marathon. And then I like, you don't get a prize for doing that. Like that's not, like, <laughs> um, but like people are, are so proud of that like grind or that hustle. Um, and because law school makes you, puts you in a position where you feel like you might have to compare yourself to everyone, to hear that the guy sitting next to you woke up at 4 a.m and did all these things. Now you're wondering, well, why don't I have the self-discipline or the like control to work up at 4 a.m. and work just as hard? Um, which is incredibly like detrimental to your thinking. Like I think a universal piece of feedback that law students get is don't, don't think about what anyone else is doing. Everyone else's journey and their like style is going to be different than yours. Um, but it's so difficult to, especially as a 1L, not compare yourself to everything or to everyone because you don't necessarily know what you're doing like I don't know a ton of 1Ls who come in and are like this is my study schedule this is when I'll take breaks and like perfectly handle that right. um and so between the the mindset that I think a lot of people like to have when it comes to being in law school and the just general um, relationship with food that I would say people have on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's it's that pride of like, I only have an iced coffee and then like I get home and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't eaten all day. Mm -hmm. um, that is probably true for people, not super helpful to share. I think a lot of the, the issue is like, you can you can do whatever you would like with your body and your 
your diet and everything, that's great. I, I'm not looking to praise you for that. I don't, I don't find that like cute or uh, impressive. And I think the more people push back to say like, okay, like, you know, when someone's saying I haven't eaten all day, I've had like one granola bar, like, all right. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is important, is helpful. I, I think. Yeah. Um, I always wonder when people post something like that, like I can see how people can relate to it and feel like, oh, I also go through this too. But then there's no like secondary action. There's like the recognition of, yes, this happens to me too. But then there's no like, what are we going to do about this? Or like, is there something that's causing this? Or why are all of us doing this? Like, I feel like that's is like lacking to the situation that's what always concerns me because I'm like okay you all see that so many people are going through this but like what are we going to do about it how are we going to change it yeah what I think also you mentioned that there are like these extremes in law school and people always vocalize them like waking up at 5 a.m every day or staying up till 2 a.m pulling all-nighters having your outlines finished by the middle of the semester like it's just it's it's always good to like recognize that people only vocalize the extremes they never vocalize their average life like I'm not like I woke up at 7 30 today and ate three square meals <laughs> like people just don't do that enough I agree I think people people are only shouting about their experiences because I think generally they want some sort of like permission to continue doing it or some support that you know, what they're doing is right. And unfortunately, law school and the legal system rewards people for kind of running themselves into the ground. Um, The law school schedule, I don't know how every law school does it, but our school, we do have like an hour and a half to two hours sometimes built in for lunch each day. Like classes are not generally held between like noon and one. Um, So if you can separate yourself from studying and, you know, go down to the cafe and eat your lunch, that's really great. But there was something so difficult for me, at least as a 1L, watching other people not go down to eat lunch or like continue to work and eat their lunch as they worked. Um, If you can do that, that's awesome. Like, I, I think that's a really good thing to be able to like multitask and eat. I didn't understand, for me at least, that that's not an option. I can either work or I can eat. There isn't like a, I'm just going to eat this quickly and and type this out. One of those things is going to get finished and one of them isn't. Um, But it's tough because you're, you're moving all the time and you're just trying to like keep your head above water. Like you can't, you don't ever get a day to just breathe. Um... So I didn't notice that I wasn't eating enough for a long time. Um, I would say for at the first month, I just kind of thought like, oh, I feel dizzy and sick to my stomach and sweaty and gross all the time because I'm like stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I was stressed, but I also kept thinking like, even when I realized I wasn't eating quite as much as I, you know, should have been, um, people very close to me, a couple people very close to me had said like, hey, I'm kind of concerned about like you and your eating and, you know, can we have a discussion about this? 
And I had very much said to them, like, I appreciate your concern, but like, it's law school. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Um, I was a psych major in undergrad. So I just, I did that thing that law school students love to do where you like over intellectualize things. So I was saying like, well, this isn't an eating disorder because I don't have all of the hallmark symptoms of like this, that, or the other thing, like, which was the most absurd thing in the world. But I truly just kept saying to myself, like, well, I'm not trying to lose weight. So I can't possibly have an eating disorder because that must, that like intent portion Mm -hmm. um, must be there, which just isn't true. So if you were kind of not recognizing that, what led you to like the realization that there was an issue? So I honestly think it started with a couple of conversations with people I'm very close to. And for people who, like any um, loved ones of people with disordered eating that might be like listening or wondering if you should say something, I think your relationship with that person determines if it's appropriate for you to say something like my you know my boyfriend at the time that was totally fine for him to say something my mom that was totally fine for him to say something but I didn't need the guy I sat next to in torts to like tell me he was concerned um and also just like supporting that person just which I was very lucky that all of the people in my life you know helped to kind of push me in the right direction Um, but they ultimately, it it wasn't until someone said like, I'd like you to look at, you know, a photo of you now versus a photo of you in March. These are very different. Like it's hard to watch your, it's hard to gauge when you yourself are changing. Um, you're like your physical appearance is changing because you see yourself every day. So you don't notice this stark contrast. Um, but it was, it was a couple close people to me talking to me about it. And then I talked to my therapist about it and she had recommended I like try logging what I was eating, which is a slippery slope for some people just disordered eating wise. But like for me, that was helpful in that very beginning to understand I'm not eating nearly as much as I even thought I was like it, it, it's a, very harsh reality check to to look at that at the end of the day and go like this is not it this is just not acceptable like this is not how a person should or can operate um and so i'm i'm very sorry i'm rambling by the way feel free to just cut me off like at at any point keep going (laughs) Uh um so the facility that I went to to get treatment um, offered a free like virtual consultation for anyone who thought they might have an eating disorder. Um, I it was I don't know if we like should include names of facilities but it the the place I went to was Rogers. Um, I think they just call it Rogers Memorial Hospital but they have like a, a nationally recognized eating disorder treatment program and so they have this, essentially you call and you talk to a nurse for 30 minutes and they can tentatively diagnose you. Obviously they can't give you like a perfect diagnosis over the phone, but you just talk about your eating habits and your, your feelings about food and your stress levels and what you're doing. Um, and I kind of did that to get my 
then boyfriend off my back. Like I, when I started that phone call, I was like, I'm just doing this as a favor to him. Like, I just want to be done. Um, so that was an incredibly important resource. I was, I, I think it's still up on the website. I know they started it because of COVID, but, um, I, it should still be available. And it was hugely helpful for me, especially like, as I was kind of pushing myself to say like, no, I'm fine. Well, if you're fine, like let's waste 30 minutes talking to this person and they'll tell you you're fine. And then you can move on. Like it was like a, I don't know, calling my own bluff essentially, I guess. Uh, so they took, took in all of my information. And then in early October, I got a phone call from Rogers saying that it was recommended that I start uh, a partial hospitalization program. And, you know, when could I come in, like in the next couple of days? Uh, So there's different like levels to treatment for eating disorders at every facility. I think most um, hospitals do it the same way Rogers does, which is, you know, there's like just outpatient therapy that like most therapists are like just equipped to handle. You go see your therapist on your schedule, like weekly, every two weeks, whatever. Then there's um, intensive outpatient, which for me was when I got to that stage was five days a week, four hours a day, and then um, partial hospitalization, PHP, was the next step. And that was, I was there eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, And then you could, from, from that, you would be in residency, which is you lived there. So you were like in a, a, you lived in the hospital, and all of your meals and all of your snacks were eaten in the hospital. Uh, And so there's, you know, everyone needs different levels of treatment. Um, Because of the support that I had, like my family living in this state, my brother living in this city, um, my then boyfriend being totally prepared to come and like move in with me and, and help support me during that entire time. They said, PHP is probably appropriate for you. You'll eat most, if not all of your meals and snacks here, and then you'll just go home at night. Um, I put treatment off for so long that when I started, they kind of sat me down and said, I think you need to start, you need to do like full inpatient, like residency. You've, mm-hmm. you've really messed up here. Um, and there's nothing like, wrong with that but for whatever reason I just was like no I can't like I have to at least be able to go home and sleep at night which makes no sense um but I I worked really hard with my doctors to to work out a way that I could um just come for the whole day and then go home and at least sleep at night and I don't I don't know that it would have been more helpful for me I'm sure I would have actually recovered faster if I just did residency but it it was nice to feel sometimes slightly normal, if if that makes any sense. Yeah, like um, a little bit of control still. Yes, and and that's a huge thing in treatment is any control you thought you had is out the window. Um, so from October, from the time that they were like, "Hey, you should, you know, come in." Um, when I and I I said, "Well, I have finals." Like I have, I have my finals in December 
And the woman I was speaking to on the phone was like, okay, so, but you know, this is looking to be pretty serious. Like these are your results. Let's at least get you like scheduled to get a full workup before you come in. And then you can come in maybe in a couple of weeks. And I was like, no, no, no. My last final is December 10th. Like mm-hmm. you don't understand. Yeah. Um, so the next, those two months from October to my very last final were terrible. Um, I, by the, the very, very end, I couldn't, um, eat some days, anything at all. Uh, the, the stress of knowing I needed to eat, knowing I wanted to eat and like not being able to eat just made everything so much it all compounds on itself so like that just made everything worse yeah um I had trouble staying conscious in class um I'd get at first I thought I was tired because I thought I was like lazy or not drinking enough coffee uh which was not the case it was like I wasn't I just wasn't feeding myself enough um there's obviously the things that people think about when they think about um like weight loss as a result of disordered eating. Um, So like, obviously losing weight was one of those things. I was freezing cold at all times. I would wear two pairs of pants under my jeans and then two like long sleeve shirts under my sweaters um, and still be cold because, you know, your body can't produce enough body heat when it's not like getting the nutrients it needs. and our school is not a warm place. <laughs> no, no. And so that's, yeah, our, our school is not warm. And if I, for some reason, happened to be in a room where it was warm, it's like, okay, am I going to take off my entire ensemble? Like, I, I couldn't ever be, like, just comfortable, um, which was partially the school, mostly me. But, like, definitely it was just frustrating to not not ever feel super comfortable. Um, We were all required to wear masks at that time too. And so eating are the places we were allowed to eat inside of the school were super restricted because I believe administration struggled with students removing their masks, saying they were going to eat and then like maybe eating even, and then, you know, not wearing their mask for the rest of that lunch hour. And like, I, I appreciate, like, we needed to be wearing masks at that time. Like people shouldn't have just been walking around or like using eating as an excuse. And as someone who was struggling with eating, it was like, okay, great. So there are two places I can go in the building to eat now. Um, which, you know, again, probably would have been fine if I didn't have an eating disorder, but because I was like, just barely making it through having that be one more layer of like an issue for me was just just tough um and then there were all of these things happening that I couldn't I didn't attribute to my eating disorder because I just thought they were unrelated um my eyesight went really poorly like it got so so bad and when I went to my eye doctor she kept remarking that it's really normal for law students, especially as 1Ls, to get really, like their eyesight declines or it just gets much worse um, because you're reading all of the time. And I took that like wholeheartedly and was like, well, that's why that's why my prescription has just quadrupled. Like that's gotta be it. Um, 
and so even when I was wearing these glasses that were like four times my, I guess, normal prescription, um, I would still, I could still read for probably three minutes at a time. And then it would just get to like, I just couldn't see, I couldn't read words. And so I would, you know, stare out the window or, or calm down or take a break. Like I would just sit and wait for my eyes to reset and then keep going as if that was somehow like Normal. helpful. Yeah. As it, as if it was okay, because so many, so many things felt like well, everyone else is struggling, you know, everyone else's eyesight is probably getting worse. Um, my hair started falling out too. Uh, so that was one where I definitely knew something was wrong, but I still couldn't like, I still wasn't willing to understand that I was like really truly hurting myself. And I think the the biggest wake up call for me at the end before I took my exams was realizing I wasn't making sense when I was having conversations with people. Um, Zion, my my then boyfriend who was very helpful and super supportive through this entire thing. Um, we would, he goes to law school a couple states away. And so while we were doing long distance, we would, you know, FaceTime every night, talk about our days. And he would very gently tell me that I would tell him the same, you know, four stories from my day that day, except it was actually the same four stories I'd been telling him about my day every day for the past four days. Like I, I was trapped in the wrong day mentally. I was, I was talking myself in circles um, to a point where like, I'm sure I was doing that at school too. I just wasn't really talking to people as much. So I don't know that anyone would have noticed, but like my, my brain started just shutting down because the, the more you push your body and the, the more you refuse to like, fuel your body to, to give your body those nutrients, the more it's just going to like keep tapping out. Like in, in my mentally, that's what it like looks like to me is my body going, okay, we're done. Like, okay, we're not going to help you see if you can't do this or like, okay, your hair's going to fall out. Um, so that kind of led me to think like, wow, this is, this is bad. But for some reason, I still thought I'll just take my exams. Like I just need to take my exams. Um, and that was truly the largest wake, wake up call was actually receiving my grades from exams, which I was already in treatment, but that solidified my like understanding that I needed to be in treatment. Um, I really struggled during exams. I passed out once, at least once during each of my exams. Oh my God. Um, yeah. And we were doing that. We were doing it remotely. So like I was just in my apartment um and it was it was rough um but I I just kept thinking like I just have to keep pushing through like I'm just gonna make it work yeah I um finish I just have to get past that finish line exactly which like to, if I not to point out the obvious here but like the reason you were putting off treatment was to prioritize school but by putting off treatment you negatively impacted your school life, which is just like this entire cycle in law school. Yes, exactly. That was the thing is I kept thinking, I'm on my grind, I'm working, I'm gonna get through this. And then I'm magically gonna go to treatment. 
during our allotted six weeks off. And then I'm going to like, come, I'm going to come back and be like, totally fine. Um, and if I had, if I had stopped in October when they told me you should start treatment, maybe I would have been able to like come back quick, more quickly. Maybe treatment wouldn't have taken as long for me generally, but because I thought like, I know better than these doctors mm -hmm. and everyone else in my life, I just kept pushing. So yeah, it was, if I could like go back and shake myself <laughs> or like, sh like just shake the one else I see who are running around, like during finals, just like running themselves, just like running themselves ragged. It's just to say like, you are not going to get the outcome you want. Like put your health aside. You cannot do well on exams if you can't read or think or stay conscious. Like, um, but I, you know, finished up my exams and I felt like I was fine. And then getting those grades back, I realized that those grades were, I felt not representative of my, and like everyone gets grades back and they're like, I actually worked really hard and this sucks. Like that's super valid separately. All of my grades, I was like, oh, wow. Like I definitely, I loved torts. I got a terrible grade in torts. Um, and your GPA doesn't have to ruin your life, but I'll, I never recovered from that GPA. Like I will never have, no matter how well I've done all these other semesters, which yeah. like not perfectly, I haven't done perfectly any other semester either, but like, it's never going to be what I maybe wanted or hoped mm -hmm. because I just forced myself to sit through these exams, like not even being able to comprehend the questions I was answering. And I think that was also something super important for me was I asked to like meet with some of my professors to go over my exams, not to haggle over grades, but to just be like, what happened? Like what on earth? Yeah, that's a normal thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, um, it broke my heart to read my writing and see that I was saying, I would literally write the same sentence. So like the elements of negligence are, but, 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 the elements of negligence are, but, but like, I, I wasn't making any sense. Um, you know, when you've been working on like a paper or something for a long time, and then you go reread it and you're like, oh, this sentence doesn't, <laughs> it's not it. Or like, it doesn't match. Or like, mm -hmm. I literally wrote the exact same sentence above it. That was okay. all of them. Like I wasn't making much sense at all. I was saying all the right words. Like I, I knew the elements of negligence, but I, I told that to my professor in my exam four times and then only addressed two of them. And like, yeah, I am. Um, I did well in my criminal law class and a friend of mine, as we were talking about 1L exams and I was like sharing, like I passed out during my 1L exams. Um, he was like, but you still got that good grading cram like that, like that's so metal. And I was like, that's not metal. <laughs> Oh, that's not good. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> but like, which like I've always been, I, I like to think pretty like open and vocal about stuff with like my eating disorder and that whole process. Um, but it it's it's those kind of moments where I like feel compelled to say something where someone's like, oh wow, you still got an honors grade in that class, like that's so cool. And I was like, it wasn't cool. It was stupid. Like. I got an honors grade by like luck of the draw, essentially. 
um, I maybe could have earned really good grades in all of my classes had I like been able to take care of myself at that point, but we, we just weren't there. Um, so yeah, that was, it was this kind of like, I just started kind of falling down this path of thinking I could just work my way through it um, until I started treatment. And that was, that was a whole, a whole thing in and of itself. I think it's really interesting that you brought up earlier that it was recommend for you to essentially like count your calories um, because my sister's a therapist and she told me to do that my 1L year. Um, and it will shock you how little yeah. you're eating when you're not making like the conscious choice to eat. Um, and I still, that's something I probably do like twice a semester to just like, check in and be like, am I actually eating enough? Because for, okay. <laughs> for me, it always gets bad around finals just because it's a higher stress level. Same, same here. I do the same thing. Like, again, I know for some sp like specific types of eating disorders, logging your food is like a symptom, it's detrimental. But if you know you're, that's not a symptom of your eating disorder, but like a check-in for yourself, I can't recommend that enough. I, I do it before finals I do it if I'm like doing a trial I'll I'll do it because you're just so in in school in trial whatever you're so busy that you keep telling yourself like yeah of course I've eaten but like you really you don't know until you force yourself to like review your day mm -hmm. especially if you're like only eating one thing at a time like I think specifically of my friends who like eat a lot of snacks so it's like okay they're at home maybe they eat something little and they have a coffee and they get to school and they like eat a snack and maybe they eat like a little snack or whatever but it's like how much is that snack actually like how much are these snacks adding up to and I know for me personally I I eat so much better in general the more time I spend at home like the more mm -hmm. access I have to like things that I can just like cook is good so then I'm like I make sure I like overpack my lunch like crazy just so I have the options when I'm at school for 10 hours or whatever because I don't want to be at school and be hungry like mm -hmm. I do not want that I cannot get anything done if I'm hungry yeah I definitely definitely can co-sign on that and just like having to know exactly what works for you so like during finals it's not, I'm not like, I want to cook all of my meals. It's like, I just need to eat something. Like I need to get enough calories in. And if it's not like, if I'm not like hitting macros that dietitians suggest, like I don't give a shit. <laughs> I will eat a, a Harris Teeter rotisserie chicken. I don't care. <laughs> um, but it's like that um, allowance and flexibility to just like, be imperfect and still feed yourself mm -hmm. that was like an issue I struggled with that my dietitians and treatment helped me with was like when you think about eating generally I think a lot of us have this idea that we'd like to be like clean eating some salads etc like I hate I hate salads I've never once enjoyed a salad um but I still was like yeah if I start eating salads things would be good um <laughs> But like, it's so something, yes, something one of my dietitians said to me when I was in treatment was like, I don't care if you get 
drive through, carry out, whatever, every day, every meal for the rest of your life. As long as you're eating, you're good. Like, like obviously we can all aspire to like be, you know, doing our my plate thing, like our food pyramid, <laughs> getting all of our like stuff. But she, she was like, I, I think like a, there's this culture of like sharing your food and showing your food and like, look at how well I can cook or like how expensive this meal is. Or like New and, City, like meal prep Sundays. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And she was like, whatever's going to work for, like if for some people cooking and meal prepping is very therapeutic mm-hmm. and that's like awesome but I like it was so I don't know freeing maybe helpful just to have someone say like give me the permission to like just get food when I am hungry it doesn't actually really matter what that food is um which you just don't think about I think like because we're pushing ourselves to want to eat a certain way or eat certain things. I think it's really hard because we have this idea of like all or nothing with like everything. And I also think part of it is a lot of the personalities that go to law school is like, a lot of us are very type A, a lot of us are used to being in control. A lot of us are used to being very high achieving. And it's like, all these things have worked in the past and we haven't had any problems. And then we get into this whole different environment and everybody starts having different problems because they cannot do things the same exact way. Like it's just impossible. Mm-hmm. I it's always something I'm a Dean's fellow at my school. So I mentor one else every year. And that's something that I like beat into one else heads probably for like the month leading up to finals. And it's like, it's okay to get takeout during finals. Like you just have to give yourself permission. It might not be like as cost-effective as you want it to be. It might not be as healthy as you want it to be, but like if you don't allow yourself to do that, you can work yourself into the ground and realize at the end of the day, you haven't eaten anything. So I I was made aware of that my first semester by one of my classmates, Michael. Um, and I think like both of us every, literally every semester are just like telling everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some food. Something that's been like a really good hack for me is I know they're like more expensive than like buying all the ingredients like for salad things, but I love the pre-made salads, not like the ones that are in the bowls, but the ones that are in the bags that have all the whatever the frick it's in it and that one. It's not always like lettuce salads, but it's like nuts and like berries and like sunflower seeds and the dressing is already pre-made. And I love those because I'll make whatever I make or I'll have whatever I have and I'll like split that bag in half and I'll have like that salad with this one meal and the other half of the salad with this other meal. It's like, I don't have to think about buying all those things and having like the added process of like making that other side. It's already there. I just buy it. It's a little bit more expensive, but it does make my life a lot easier. Yeah, can relate to that, except I also hate salads. (laughs) I mean, I, to be fair, I go through phases with salads. Sometimes I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. And I will eat one every day for the next month. Um, But I actually hate those bag salads. They just... (laughs) They, the the lettuce is never chopped finely enough. And then I'm taking the lettuce out of the bag and chopping it more finely. Like I could have just gotten a romaine head. 
I don't like when they like slice the romaine all the way across. I'm like, you need to cut the spine and then slice it. Yes, exactly. So I think I'm maybe just a little bit too much of a control freak to get the bag of salads. Something I always like wonder about, even just like people that I see around school, I'm like, are they just tired because they're actually not sleeping enough? Are they just tired because they're actually like working so much or like what's going on? Because I'm like, everybody's tired. Everybody's always tired. But like, what is the reason? Like everybody has a different reason for like being unwell. And I'm like, we should not all like be this unwell all the time. Yeah, it's a crazy, that's a crazy concept. Like whenever we're, I think at least once a year, our school will have like a mental wellness in the law day where they like show us these studies that are like, hey, it's really bad. Like in Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, professional occupations, it's bad for in law, like in law school and in, you know, the legal community, it's the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, We specifically talk about like, how alcoholism is an enormous issue in our field and then the next day we'll have like an event with um, a reception afterwards where we're given like two free drink tickets Mm -hmm. and there's they cater in all of these beautiful meals but like if you're someone like me who's too anxious to eat in a lot of situations like that's great I want it you know I can want to eat every single one of those things I can't do that while I'm worried that, you know, some judge is going to come and talk to me while I'm standing there or some, it's, it's tough because I think, I think most things law schools are doing for students is maybe well-intended, but just not entirely thought out. Like, I'm not going to complain about my two glasses of Pinot Grigio after each like lecture series. That's fine. But if we know that alcoholism is an enormous, is an enormous issue, why are we then turning around and like pretending that everything is is like normal and and fine so i i totally agree like we i look around especially as we you get closer to finals and everyone is unwell and it's not a secret like mm-hmm. i think there are still some people that are like i'm doing super great and i closed <laughs> down the reading room today like i was the one here like last and i'm like you have a time management problem like that is on you Oh, home. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but like most people, you know, when you run into them in finals, I'm always just telling people I'm living the dream because I am not living the dream. Um, and like everyone, you know, the administration and faculty seem to understand it too. So I just, I think it is wild that we all recognize something is wrong, but there's no push to like correct that and I don't have the answer for like I don't know exactly how you change that um but it is a pervasive enough issue like I am not the only one in that building with an eating disorder um and talking about it with people has made that even more clear to me like a lot of of people in law school need some sort of help but they think everyone else is also struggling. So what whatever they're going through is like normal and appropriate. Uh, yeah. Something too is like, I think eating disorders are often very associated with women. And that's just like, I think law school makes it very obvious that it's everybody. Does not matter mm-hmm. your gender, anything. It's everybody. I'm like sort of a different tangent, but one thing that has 
like been freaking me out like in the back of my mind lately is how on social media a lot of people have been talking about how like heroin chic is coming back or like 90s aesthetic is coming back and also like the I don't know probably in the past six-ish years like the smoking resurgence like Americans smoking cigarettes and like vaping and how like that affects your appetite and that kind of stuff because I think we're, we've always been told growing up like oh yeah like French people smoke because it suppresses their appetite and they're so skinny blah 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 but somehow like the Mediterranean people have like the healthiest diet da 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 not understanding that okay Americans could smoke but we're not smoking the same things and we eat completely differently from them our like our culture and our attitude towards food is completely different so then people are smoking to not eat when we already don't have a lot of great options and it's just like I'm 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 afraid of that snowball like I'm really afraid of it there's like a number of things that people know to be appetite suppressants so like smoking cigarettes is one that like I I think people generally understand like I will not be as hungry if I if I smoke this um two that really got me which I think they were again I I think people generally know but like I just wasn't putting the pieces together drinking coffee and taking my Adderall like I have a prescription for Adderall because I have ADHD I cannot tell you how terrible it is to have an eating disorder and um ADHD in law school because you're always you're always fighting a demon it just doesn't it like just depends on like the day um but like everyone's drinking coffee all the time at school because that's I mean we're exhausted and that's also a part of the culture at least at our school it's like there's a this beautiful cafe and they make coffees and it's like it's a it's a great time um but I just I wasn't putting together that I truly was having just a nice coffee like all you know for a, a large chunk of the day and then with the Adderall I was of course taking my prescribed medication and like not checking in that like I wasn't even getting hunger cues anymore like my body wasn't even alerting me that I was hungry um so now having like been through treatment as long as things are fine eating wise I'll probably do like three days on four days off of my Adderall so like you know whatever days I have like the most stuff the most classes the most stuff happening I'm still really working to eat and I still am able to eat at like the very end of the day at least but it's so rough to have to sit and like decide for yourself, do I get to focus? Like, do I get to understand everything that's happening today or do I get to eat? And there's there doesn't seem to be like a happy medium where we're working towards like Adderall type drugs that don't like suppress your appetite. Yeah, that's um, there's somebody that I have followed on Twitter for a long time and she got diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and like she already had like a couple kids was like a little bit older started taking it and she was like why didn't anybody tell me like you just stop eating like you get <laughs> diagnosed and you get Adderall and you stop eating she was like I was not prepared for that because she goes to the gym a lot and she was like I need to eat like I'm trying to be like a muscle mommy like I need food <laughs> oh it's my boyfriend has been diagnosed with ADHD since he was like <laughs> 12 or 13 years old um and even like he's been on Adderall for 
over a decade. And to be completely fair, he does not take it consistently. So I don't know how that affects things. But I still have to like force him to eat on days where he takes Adderall because it's that much of an appetite suppressant, but he can't function without it. I think, I don't know, something that like freaks me out just because of like the kid that I was and like all the books that I read. I'm like, I read stories about people who like had to like walk through forests and like grow up with like not always having food. I'm like, I read about like what that does to people. Like I read about how like you just cannot function properly. And I mean, I think also because of like my own control issues, but I am like extremely conscious of that because I'm like, I know that I could fall into that very quickly and I don't want to. (laughs) There was one of like the first things they hit us with in treatment or hit me with in treatment. Everyone like starts at a different date, but they were like, read, read these articles. And it was um, the Minnesota starvation experiment which essentially, and they can't do studies like these because obviously starving people is wrong. Um, But they took a bunch of people, a bunch of men, and they starved them for like, I think two weeks. Um, And what I didn't know and what I think a lot of people still don't know is starvation is a medical condition. It's not like a vibe, like, oh, I'm starving. I haven't eaten all day. Like your, your body believes we are like at, at the end of it. Your body stops processing food because it it doesn't think it's going to be getting food and instead is just like your 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 body's basically like just kind of eating itself which is a whole other thing that I don't know like all the specifics of but um yeah the the men I think that they recruited for this study could only like chew gum and drink coffee I think um And one of the like highlights they pointed me to was a lot of these guys were like mathematicians, like college professors just really knew their stuff, obviously like super brilliant. They couldn't do like basic algebra problems after like a week of being starved because your, your brain simply cannot like put it, keep it together. Um, Which was like huge for me in understanding like there, there is no amount of like, grind or hustle or work that I can put in that's going to make my brain be able to comprehend what's going on um and I just I like share that information with a ton of people like as many as I can really to just let people know like you you you're you're gonna hit this wall and you're not gonna be able to like it's going to be so much different than you think. It's not just being tired. It's not just working hard. Like you will stop being able to perceive exactly what's happening around you. Yeah, that's scary. I think we could probably link that in the, like the show notes. I think Mm -hmm. a story that I also grew up knowing about just because of like history class was like when Napoleon's army was coming back from Russia and they were starving and they came across this village, like pillaged it, like wrecked it and started just like gorging themselves and so many of the soldiers died because they'd been starving for so long and then all of a sudden they get all this food and they're like drinking way too much water eating way too much food and literally like killing themselves because their bodies don't know how to eat food anymore like don't know how to process food anymore and that is very scary yeah the um i think the the minnesota starvation experiment is fascinating um in like obviously terrible ways. Um, but part of the experiment was also 
um, a 24 week long semi-starvation period. So like restrictive eating. Um, and it was like leading people <laughs> to have like symptoms of depression to like self-harm and like um, even just like more intense like psychosis. And the people in the study reported that like the hardest part was not the 24 week period, but the rehab after it. Yeah. Which yeah. was always I so wild to me. That is also like hugely important. Like I feel like a lot of the people who are talking about like their grind and waking up at 4 a.m., a lot of the emphasis is on like control and self-discipline and and you know being able to like mind over matter essentially I have I'm two months away from graduating law school nothing I've ever like encountered in law school was as terrible or as difficult or required as much self-discipline and control as not only putting myself into treatment but then continuing to show up and do what they at least in treatment for me, they called it the refeeding process. So it's, it's literally just, I would show up and they would put a, you know, some breakfast food in front of me and I would eat it. And, but like to the extent that I could, which was not great, especially in the beginning. Um, and then I'd like get sick and then they'd be like, it's lunchtime. And we'd like do that. Like it was, it was awful because you're just trying to force your body to understand we're going to start eating again but once you've done that I mean I did that to myself for two months essentially after those two months my body was like no no like I thought this was the way we're operating now like we're gonna we're, we're not gonna do that um and so that's a really tough part of treatment is I think for the, the first stage for a lot of people is refeeding and like it is physically painful to to eat more than your stomach can handle because your stomach shrinks as you starve. So you're you're physically forcing your like stomach to open up more. Um, something else that was just really difficult for me in treatment is so the the ideal like dietitian prescribed um, diet diet every day would be like three meals, three snacks. Um. So I would get to treatment and eat whatever I could for breakfast. And then an hour and a half later, they'd be like, oh, it's time for a snack. And I'd have a meltdown because I'd be like, I just had three bites of that pancake or, you know, like whatever, whatever it was. Like I just worked so hard for that. And now you're going to eat, make me eat more. And it's like, yep. And I, I think for the first probably week, I just, I was struggling the entire time. So I'm really grateful I had people who were saying like nope you're gonna go back like we have to keep doing this um if it was like up to me if I'd been you know living alone and taking myself I would not have returned after day one um because it, it just is it's so so much more like difficult than you think because your your body like physically has no interest in eating anymore your brain, depending on like where you are in your eating disorder, what type of eating disorder you have, you mentally are probably not like thrilled about eating. So it's just like, yeah, I am. Um, that was certainly the hardest part of treatment, maybe the hardest thing I've ever done. 
it's not that law school is now easy, that like everything is, is so perfect and wonderful all the time. But like, once you've gone through an, an actual life or death experience, the, the experience that law school tries to market itself as like essentially life and death, like the stakes have never been higher. It just can't, it just can't feel the same because <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's so oh, much easier for me to like, yes, it's, it's so much easier, like post-treatment for me to like decide to go to bed at a reasonable time and stop stressing about an assignment that's not going to get done. It's a bummer. I'd really love to, you know, have finished that reading. I hope I don't get called on. I'm not doing treatment again. I would rather get cold called every day being unprepared than like put myself through that entire process again, which is really hard to make other people understand if they haven't had that experience. And again, like law school markets itself as like, this is it. This is your life. This is going to be your livelihood. I remember as a 1L over our winter break, which I was going to, you know, go to treatment six weeks, be done. Um, that was the plan. Uh, we were told like you, you know, some students do choose to take some time for themselves and like, you know, like not answer their email and like refresh. Don't do that. That's not an option. Uh, yeah. You will not get, you will not get a job. You will not have the things you want in life you need to keep going. So I didn't, I didn't even try, like I couldn't possibly also handle like OCIs mm -hmm. while I was in treatment, N nor do a lot of places that do OCIs at our school want someone who has been in treatment, which is like a huge other thing, but like it, it just the, the the culture that even the school and I think schools generally like perpetuated of like you don't get a break you must keep going it's it's just not realistic and for I think a lot of people winter break was kind of people's relief like at least if they weren't you know struggling with some sort of like diagnosable like mental illness they were certainly just needing like time to be a person and to be told not only do you not get that time but like this is the most important thing you've ever done is overwhelming for sure yeah that's something that has always irked me about our school and then like knowing things about a lot of other schools that also do the same exact thing it's like jobs are pushed so hard on one else legal jobs are pushed so hard on one else and i i understand why and i understand placement and i understand the employment numbers like i know why they want that but it's like you have to understand that not everybody's going to end up doing that and not everybody is like ready to do that right away. And it's, I think it's just so frustrating because it's such like a short time window. People don't have the experience, like the way that they want our resumes done, like doesn't make any sense to me. Like it's like this whole process and especially like even just like the bureaucracy of like applying and having your stuff uploaded and all that kind of stuff it's just like very stressful and time consuming and you're like going through drafts and compiling everything, making sure all the information is accurate. And they're like, you don't want to make lazy mistakes. Like make sure your cover letter is good. Like don't make stupid mistakes. Like, okay. It's so much stuff. Yeah. And I mean, it's not even just these kind of like um, abstract pressures about getting jobs and OCIs and making sure your resume is done and keeping up with emails, but like uh, the one else in my school right now came into our orientation 
knowing that some states automatically flag you as a bar applicant if you've ever sought any inpatient treatment. And that has been a reason that deterred people from getting treatment. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. yeah. Um, it creates, it creates this issue, this issue of like letting things snowball. Like you said, you, maybe you wouldn't have had to go into residency if it were addressed earlier, but this entire system is just like, it feels like it's designed to make us the worst versions of ourselves sometimes. I a hundred percent agree. And one of my biggest issues when I started treatment and then was talking to our school and specifically some administrators at our school about returning and, you know, when I, when I might return, what that would look like. And I was incredibly disappointed to have a conversation with one of the uh, administrators at our school who said to me, most people don't really come back from this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um, it, it, it was just, really disappointing to be quite literally fighting for my life and then also realizing I'm gonna have to fight the school every step of the way and it truly has been a fight every single time I think law schools like like you had been touching on like employment statistics are like very important like um as are like matriculation rates so like they want to either force a student through mm-hmm. or drop them and then be done because you can't it, again my personal opinion is that you can't waste time with with students that you don't believe are going to matriculate so you're just going to keep pushing but like it was sort of this they weren't telling me not to get treatment I didn't really ask I it was I told them I am in treatment I'm going to need to come back like late or whatever mm-hmm. and it was well like most people don't really come back from this. And I, I still to this day think like, I wonder why, like maybe because this is awful. Um, I don't know. I've, I've talked to several people, several people at the law school now who have shared their experiences trying to talk to administration, um, about taking time or, or needing time. Um, they've shared that with me. And it's interesting, some people have received um, pretty helpful, like feedback. And I think that that's due to sometimes it varies person to person um, that you speak to, you know, like in every situation ever, there's going to be people who are really helpful and people who are really not. Um, And then I know some people who they, they faced similar issues like me where they were told like most people like can't come back from this um I know the school threatened to take away someone's scholarship if they took time off um I just I it it was really really disappointing to to start to realize like not only is mental health not a priority here which I don't think it is at a lot of law schools but I am not a priority here, and I, I would be willing to bet you any amount of money that if one of my parents was a judge or like a big law partner, I would have had no problem whatsoever. Like, this wouldn't have even been a, a fight that I had to have with the school. 